Welcome back to the program. Tonight, by the way, game one, not only game one in the uh, Stanley Cup final, but also game seven in the uh, J. Ross Robertson Cup final. That is the trophy that will be awarded this evening after we uh, figure out who wins between the Windsor Spitfires and the Hamilton Bulldogs. Mark Savard, head coach of the Windsor Spitfires, Jay McKee, the head coach of the Hamilton Bulldogs. One goes on, one goes home. So Game sevens are folks. Uh, Brad Lauer is the head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings. Uh, they are off to the Memorial Cup after beating the Seattle Thunderbirds in the Ed Chenoweth Cup final. Uh, he joins me now. Brad, first of all, how are you today? And congratulations. Thank you. No, I'm doing well. Thank you, Jeff. Will, uh, will, will you be watching tonight? The, uh, yeah. The, the Windsor-Hamilton game. <laughs> I will be. I've watched a few of their games. Um Kind of a coach's thing they do on their off days is uh, make sure they watch more hockey. So I'll be dialed yeah. in on that game tonight. How, how, I was, was going to ask you like, how much so Shawinigan's representing the Q. St. John is hosting. They've been off for a while and got you know they, they yeah. lost in the first round, uh, as we all know. How much you know? How much Shawinigan have you watched? Or maybe tried to, to cram in uh, ever since you, you beat Seattle, or maybe you were watching before. Uh, how much Windsor have you watched? How much Hamilton have you watched? Or is this all going to be a crash course? Well, there's a little bit of a crash course on, on, on the Quebec teams for sure. Um, you know, obviously being able to, we've been able to watch uh, the, the Hamilton game on, on TSN, obviously, and, and uh, on TV. So we've been able to get a few of those games, but a lot of it's going to be a crash course, obviously. Um, the, the technology nowadays for coaches is, is good. Um, there's a lot of information there. So we'll, we'll be, we'll be, you know, it's going to be a quick study for a lot of teams. Well, let me um let, let me re- rewind here. Like this is, yeah. I don't I don't want to say that you didn't like the, the winning a championship is is huge. Um, yeah. But I mean, going into the season when we looked at your roster, we looked at the lineup and said, okay, like who do we think is coming out of the West? Like mm-hmm. I I checked all the Kings like right away. Like how how is this how is this team going to lose? Um, yeah. I know that you know playing with the weight of expectation is a heavy one. And, you know, I was making the point on the show yesterday, Brad, that sometimes coaching a team laden with a a bunch of superstars or a bunch of alphas is actually harder uh, in a Mm -hmm. lot of ways. What was it like coaching this team that, you know, many could look at and say, look, man, it's a traveling all-star team coming out of the West? Yeah, no, it's it. There's a lot of expectations for our group this year. Um, No questions about it. A lot of it is what these kids have, some of these kids have had for four years and, what they've done and obviously being drafted some high draft picks and some notable players. And, you know, we went out and made a deal, you know, in January to add a couple more key, key pieces to our group that we thought we needed. And, um, you know, it's a credit to our guys though. I mean, you know, as a, as a coaching staff, uh, we try not to these outside distractions, I guess, try to keep them out as much as possible or just, just to keep our guys a little more humble on a day-to-day basis and, and not to get our, our head's too big what people are saying about us. Um, but, you know, the group we had, I mean, obviously we're an older group and we know that. And the core players we have, the guys like the Jake Neighbors and the Dylan Gunthers and the Galen Gooleys and the Sortis and the guys we have, even Luke Prokop and even some of the guys, if I, the maturity they bring to our, our group, um, our locker room, keeping guys in the moment, um, they they did a really good job for us. They they really helped out our our coaching staff and and keeping our guys understanding what our goal is. And you know, every day they came to work. You know, they work for each other. They challenge each other every day. And um, you know, to be honest, for a coach, I would yes, is you worry about it, but 
I had such a mature group that uh, it, it was it was fairly easy for me to be honest with you. You know, I I am curious about uh, about one player specifically. At the beginning mm-hmm. of the season, how much, whenever your phone rang, did you check that it wasn't a St. Louis three one four area code? <laughs> to yeah. hearing that you know Jake Neighbors has made the team and he's staying past the the nine ten game mark. Yeah, well, there were some concerns for sure. They were extremely happy with Jake. He he did a tremendous job, obviously, in the off season. Uh, he went in there. You know, one thing with Jake, he's a very humbled individual, very mature kid. But um, you know, he knows. He's, he, he carries himself fairly well. He knows he's a first-year guy. He, he doesn't uh, doesn't try to show up too much, but he just works hard. And I think, uh, obviously, we were getting – that was a big concern. That was a big decision on our, our group as an organization, if we were going to get him back or not, what we were going to do at the deadline and, and add guys to our team to see where we're at. But um, it was definitely nice to get that call to say he would be returning. And uh, like I said, he's, he's our captain. He's been in our organization for, for four years now, and – uh, he, he definitely was the key piece that came back to us um, to make our decision where to move forward with what we wanted to do. You've had him from day one in Edmonton, haven't you? We have. We had him as a 16-year-old, yeah. yeah. What, what, what have you seen like from a 16-year-old to now? What have you seen in Jake Neighbors? I mean, listen, uh, Blues fans listen to this show, and NHL, yeah. you know, NHL fans in general. What have you seen between 16 and now from Jake Neighbors? Well, I think, I mean, as a 16-year-old, he's probably one of our most mature players at that age already. <laughs> uh, he, he was more mature than some of our 20-year-olds we had. But, um, you know, he's just, you know, he's got great values as a, as a person. Um, he's on and off ice. Is, is You know, as, as a person, he works extremely hard in the gym. He's a focused individual. Um, you know, he's a guy you can have an adult conversation with. He's, he's always been that, that, that individual that's been very mature and, um, you know, wants to challenge himself on a day-to-day basis, but also very grounded. Um, he's had a lot of success in our league, but uh, he, he understands that he's got a great work ethic. He understands what he needs to do as a player to to get better on a day-to-day basis, and he's never satisfied and or comfortable. Um, you know what he does. He always wants to do build more, and I think that's that's what I've seen as a 16-year-old. And, and you know, he's a guy that you know that always was in our office, wanted to see video and. Um, you know, could take some criticism and understood situational play and stuff like that. So he was a real student of the game at 16, and he continues to still be that student of the game and, and, and growing his game to to the, be the ultimate goal is just make the national hockey league. Then I'm sure once he makes that, he's still going to want to get better on a day-to-day basis to stay there. Mm-hmm. Like this is such a this, this is such a wonderful squad that you have, and I know there are mm-hmm. high hopes and, and high expectations for Caden Gooley. You know, Montreal's had a tough mm-hmm. season, as we all know, and they have the yeah. first overall pick, and they're putting things together. Like when you look at Caden Gooley right now, uh, Western Hockey League playoff MVP, what a season uh, he's been able to put together. What a great playoffs uh, Caden Gooley had. Like, what's yeah. for for Montreal Canadiens fans listening to this show? What are they getting mm-hmm. in Caden Gooley right now? Oof, uh, they're going to have. They're going to have a. a they're going to have a, a good player for a long time. Um, again, I think a lot of the qualities I talked about, Jake. Um, I think. I think Caden has the same same qualities. He's got a very. He's got a very uh, uh, compete drive in him on a day to day in practice. He challenges guys. He's a. He's one of those guys um, that speaks up. Uh, you don't see a lot of that anymore as coaching staff. You always say, well. You know, we need leaders to speak up. Well, that, that's not easy to do anymore. A lot of guys don't don't have that voice in the room. They they say a few things, but uh, I can only say with Caden, he has a voice. Um, 
you know, he has a bark in him when things aren't going and, mm-hmm. you know, he says the right things. He's, he's a, he's a, he's a professional already at our level, um, carries himself very well. Um, you know, he's got some great qualities as, as a person. Um, and again, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's of a competitor. Um, and just again, I, I, I mean, he's going to be a guy that's going to, I believe he's going to play a long time in the national hockey league. Brad Lauer joins me. He's the head coach of the uh, Edmonton Oil Kings, uh, champions of the Western Hockey League. And um, you and I kind of have something in common. So my wife used to play when she went to art college at Leeds with the Sheffield Shadows. Okay. Uh, she was there for a couple of years. You played for the Sheffield Steelers. And did, yeah. I'm, I'm throwing a dart here. Were you Reggie Dunlop for that team? Were you a player coach <laughs> for that team? I kind of was a little bit, I guess. Um, that, that that happened right at the end of my career. I didn't know where I was going with my my life. I guess at that time, I was uh, <laughs> I was in I my just finished in uh, in uh, Salt Lake City playing for uh, Dallas Stars farm team, and I think I was thirty four, thirty five at the time, and I was like, I my career was done. I was trying to get into coaching. A couple of interviews, uh, got a call one day from Mike Blaisdell the coach oh, yeah. of the Sheffield Steelers and uh he asked if I wanted to still play and I said I said Mike I haven't really done anything all summer I said he says well just come on over he says just play and I said well you know let me talk to my wife to see we didn't have any kids at the time and mm-hmm. you know we went over there it was great it was a great experience um that was the year that the IHL folded the international hiking that was you right. know the, the IHL was a was more of a veteran older veteran NHL guys that played and uh, league, which was very competitive, very good league um, in, in itself, but it, fo- it ended up folding that year. And so there's a lot of guys that ended up going over to Europe, over to you know uh, England to play in the in, in Sheffield and the teams over there. So uh, it was a good year. It was a, it was a great experience, a lot of fun. Um, had a tremendous time. My wife and I loved it. Um, nothing but great experiences over there. Is that where you got the coaching bug? Like, was that, that- where it started for you? Yeah, that, well, it started towards the end of my career. I knew where I was going at, when I was about 32, 33. I was like, you know, I was still playing, but I was in the minors, but I was I was playing good hockey. I was playing with some good teams and still loved the game, but uh, obviously I knew I couldn't do it for a long time. And I started doing a lot of coaches' conference in the summer. I'd go to the Rogers Nielsen's and coaches' conference. Oh, nice. I'd get in my contract. I'd have my contract, you know, um, with the team I played for is like, Pay, pay for my flight and accommodations to a coaches conference every summer. So I started doing that in my last three, four years as a player. I'd start going to these coaches conferences. Just, a lot of it was just a network to see some of the guys I played against and are now coaching and, uh, you know, see where it's at and learn a little bit. And uh, obviously with Sheffield, they got a little bit of taste of coaching, but um, I started doing that three or four years before I retired um, doing the coaches conference. And then obviously when I was finished in England, I was able to get the opportunity to, uh, Actually, it's great. I mean, the Ed Chanel Cup, obviously, winning that is very special for me as an individual. You know, personally, Ed gave me my first job um, with the Kootenai Ice in, in, in Cranbrook uh, in the Western Hike League. So, um, you know, so it brings back a lot of memories to win that the other night. But uh, that's where I got my first first job as assistant coach. So uh, you win the Edge and Earth Cup, uh, champions of the Western Hockey League, going now to compete for the Memorial Cup, uh, which many uh, will say is the, the hardest cup, certainly for mm-hmm. a player to win since your, your window is so small to do it. Yeah, um, yeah. But listen, you were, you were on the bench with John Cooper with the Tampa Bay Lightning. A lot of those players that you, know, you were 
that you were helping uh, are still very much on that team. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll see them tonight in Game One. Like what, when you watch, when you watch Tampa now, whether it's yeah. Braden Point and he's coming back tonight, and that's you know great news for Tampa. Whether it's Nikita Kucherov or you know the the legend Steve Stamkos, uh, Andre mm-hmm. Palat, who have always said is kind of a poor man's Marion Hosa. Like yeah. what, do you, what, do you, yeah. what do you what do you what do you see in this team right now after having you know been behind the bench for a couple of years there? Well, I just, I mean, I think just the guys obviously being able to have a little bit of a connection with them, which at the time was in town, but it's just, I mean, it's it's awesome to see players compete for the ultimate goal. Um, you know, they put a lot of work in, you know, like, uh, you know, Kucherov and those guys, I mean, the time they put on the ice and working to see them, you know, to be able to play for their the trophy they won. Now, I mean, they're going for the third time now, but, um, you know, as a coach, you're always, you always have a smile on your face when you see guys you know accomplish what they want to accomplish and um you know you've been able to have a little bit of relationship with them um so it's always exciting to see them play games and, and watch them compete for those those championships um was anthony sorelli there at that point we did you ever, was, did you ever see did was sorelli just getting there was he just starting just, he was just starting he was just coming there um at brain was his first year and uh, and he was just was just coming in, into the organization then. He's, uh, I mean, he's turned himself into. Uh, I don't know what you what you saw then, but like, you know, this guy's going to be in the conversation now for the Selkie Trophy from you know from yeah. there and, and, until he hangs him up. Like, did you even in that brief time that he that you two overlapped? Did you see any of that? Oh, for sure. He was one. Him and Braden Point were probably the two young guys that that I met that I said, well. These guys have bright futures. Just the way they came into the room as first-year guys and the way they carried themselves amongst their teammates, they knew they were first-year guys and the work they were doing, but the maturity they had as individuals. And uh, you could see they were – you could you could just feel that they, they, they were going to be successful. And, uh, you know, just I, – I just seen a lot of um, – a good young pro in them already at a young age, but just the way they carried themselves was very professional already at that age. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so what's the plan now, Coach? Uh, it's uh, it's Memorial Cup. We'll see what happens tonight yeah. between Windsor and Hamilton. What's uh, I mean, uh, I mean, when, when do when do preparations for something like this begin? Because I have a hard time believing it's you know okay we've beaten Seattle <laughs> now what do we do like when, when does it all get going? Yeah, you know, it's it's probably here. We, we've already started here this morning as far as uh, making phone calls, trying to get information on teams and stuff like that. You kind of do your networking with other guys around the league sure. uh, that you know you make connections with. Um, you kind of do a quick study on the, the teams that you know that are already there for sure. Um, a lot of it is still doing hotel meals and stuff like that, obviously getting that stuff organized, the schedule. Uh, we have that now, uh, so we're just kind of, planning our day by day we know we're leaving saturday morning at nine o'clock arriving there at 4 30 on saturday uh we know our, you know we have our meals planned stuff like that we have our practice schedule um so we're, we're organized we're getting there uh, we have more meetings conference calls coming up this afternoon with our league and uh what what's going to go on while we're there but you just try to plan and, and you don't want to change too much the biggest thing is you want to try to keep the same routine as you can with your group of guys that you've had all year and uh have some outings with them and our team has always done a, a lot of team outings, whether we do some hiking or you know, stuff like that. So we've, we've organized and stuff like that with our group. But try to keep things contr- to the same, not too different, but 
Um, and then as far as the, the teams are playing, it's a quick study and, and get as much information as you can on video and, and then start creating your meetings from there. Well, you got a great team. This is a this is a squad that uh, that played near 800 hockey all season, which is impressive and uh, no surprise. Winners of the Ed Chenoweth Cup as the Western Hockey League champions. Uh, Brad, listen, uh, good luck, safe travels to St. John. We wish you all the best. Uh, we'll, we'll catch up soon. Good luck winning the uh, the Memorial Cup. Great, thank you very much. There he is. Uh, Brad Lauer is the head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings. A, like this is a this is a stacked team. Like I get it. Like if you're going to make it to the Memorial Cup, you're going to have a lot of you know NHL or some NHL uh, draft picks, maybe a couple of NHL first rounders. Caden uh, Gooley, Montreal Canadiens, first round. Sebastian Kosa, uh, the Trent Red Wings, netminder, first round. Jake Neighbors, St. Louis Blues, first round. Dylan Gunther, Arizona Coyotes, 2021 ninth overall, first round. This is a murderer's row uh, of hockey players. Oil Kings are a really good team. Uh, Shawinigan represents the Q. Uh, the host team are the St. John Sea Dogs, and we'll find out who the Ontario representatives are, the OHL representatives are, rather, uh, as Windsor and Hamilton face off in a crucial Game 7 tonight. Uh, ben Goats is going to be joining me here in a couple of moments, covering the Las Vegas um, Golden Knights, and we'll talk more about the hiring of Bruce Cassidy. He works for the Las Vegas Review Journal and Greg Wyshynski towards the bottom of the hour from ESPN. More of the Merrick Show in moments across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Breaking down everything in Leafsland better than anyone. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the program. Welcome to Hour 2. Don't forget, tonight, how could you forget? If you're a hockey fan listening to this show, you know. It's Game 1. Colorado Avalanche facing off against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Tampa looking for the three-peat. And as Kale McCarr mentioned yesterday, Colorado Avalanche looking to begin a legacy. Like, when you look at a matchup like this, as much as we talk about, oh, the NHL needs to expand their playoff format. The NHL needs to include more teams in the postseason. There needs to be more squads here. 16 isn't enough. There were 16 when it was a 21-team NHL universe. Now it's 32, and it's still 16 teams that make it in. The fact that it's Colorado and Tampa... The two heavyweights. No Cinderella stories here whatsoever. Isn't this kind of making the point that maybe there should be less teams that make the playoffs? <laughs> so we get more of a chance of two heavyweights meeting in the final. This one's going to be good. There's no Cinderella's. With all due respect, Montreal and Dallas. You were Cinderella's. And there's no Montreal and Dallas in this one. This is Tampa, Colorado, ladies and gentlemen. This is Capital City. This isn't Springfield, ladies and gentlemen. Bracket that for a second. Let's talk about Vegas. Uh, Ben Goats joins me now. We'll talk about the Vegas Golden Knights hiring Bruce Cassidy. Ben writes for the Las Vegas Review Journal, and he joins me now. Ben, how are you today? Thanks so much for doing this. Not too bad. A lot busier than I was uh, just about 24 (laughs) hours ago, but things are good. 
Did it? Um, did the Cassidy news kind of seem sudden? I mean, I can't help but thinking what a what a whirlwind Bruce Cassidy's life has been. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Sweeney shows up at his house and says you're, you know, or calls him and says you're safe. And then a couple of weeks later, Sweeney shows up and says we've had to reconsider and make a change. Um, but then Bruce Cassidy doesn't stand around or sit around feeling sorry for himself. He you know, goes about putting himself to market, and he ends up the head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. How did this process feel to you, Ben? I mean, it was kind of nuts, right? Because you pointed out, you know, the Bruins officially announced that they fire uh, Cassidy June 6th, only nine days ago. and then, But already then Cassidy meets with the Boston media via Zoom, says he's rearing to go, wants to get right back in it as soon as possible, has already talked to a number of teams. And then just yesterday, he and the Knights officially agree on a deal. So it was kind of crazy to where you had this kind of coaching search, not just with the Knights, but kind of league-wide, uh, mm-hmm. be just very slow paced, very methodical. We're still um, outside of the Knights. No one has made an outside hire yet this season. It kind of seemed like everyone was waiting around to see who was going to be, you know, the first domino to fall and whether that was going to be Barry Trotz and whether he was going to make a decision. And then all of a sudden, Bruce Cassidy shows up on this market, and you can argue whether he's, you know, two to Barry Trotz or a 1A or 1B. And then all of a sudden, it just seemed like for him and the Knights, that they just kind of found that this was going to be a marriage that was going to be successful. And they were both willing to move quickly on this to make it happen and Mm -hmm. get it done. And so it'll be very interesting to kind of hear a little bit more about the process when Cassidy is introduced uh, to the media tomorrow and how this all came about. Um, But it sure seems like even though this probably wasn't in the Knights' heads, that this was going to be an option heading into this process when they fired Pete DeBoer on May 16th, that all of a sudden this became just too good of an option to ignore, especially because they have some familiarity with Cassidy because president of hockey operations, George McPhee, hired him almost 20 years ago in Washington. Correct, yeah. And, you know, there were there have been all kinds of, uh, of wild rumors around Vegas. Listen, you know this a lot better than I do. You know, uh, I can recall talking to someone, was it last week or a couple of weeks ago, who said, you know, they wouldn't be surprised if at the end of all of it, you know, Kelly McCrimmon ended up behind the bench coaching the team and George McPhee went back to his old role as, 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 uh, as, the, uh, as the general manager. Um, but the Bruce Cassidy thing really does kind of fit here. And, you know, previous to Vegas, Cassidy was interviewed by the Dallas Stars, uh, one of uh, one of a couple um, uh, contenders for their bench boss position, Peter DeBoer being the other one. Um, but I look at the Vegas Golden Knights and say to myself, this kind of feels like a Bruce Cassidy style team. It's a veteran team. Uh, it's a team that can defend. He goes from coaching the best 200-foot center to coaching the best 200-foot winger from Patrice Bergeron to Mark Stone. This one, at least on the outside here, Ben, feels like it's a hand-to-glove type relationship. Like this, this, like this team is, is right for this coach. Does it feel the same way to you? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you're the Knights, what you're hoping for is that Bruce Cassidy keeps a lot of the good things that Pete DeBoer was able to accomplish here while kind of turning up the dials on some of the shortcomings that existed. So you mentioned, like, for the most part, the Knights defended pretty well under Pete DeBoer. They won the Jennings Trophy uh, in the kind of shortened season with, you know, only division play a year ago. And so you're hoping he can keep that defensive identity, which obviously Cassidy was very, very successful at 
with the Boston Bruins. They wanted Jennings under him there as well. So if you can keep that five-on-five defensive structure, keep kind of the penalty kill success that for the most part also happened here under DeBoer, but slipped a little last year. And then the big one that the Knights are hoping he also then improves is going to be the power play because that was a 10-year-long issue for Mm -hmm. Pete DeBoer. The obviously big glaring red light was the fact that they went four for 43 uh, in the 2021 postseason and then 0 for 15 against Montreal in that semifinal they lost in six games and then it just never got right uh, this season. Obviously there were injuries, but still you're talking about a power play that you know, has guys like Jack Eichel, Max Pacioretty, you know, Mark Stone, Chase Theodore, and Alex Petrangelo running the points. And it just never gelled or clicked like it had the potential to. They finished 25th last year. And obviously uh, Cassidy never had a below-average power play with the Boston Bruins. It obviously helps to have David Pasternak. It helps to have, you know, Charlie (laughs) McAvoy, Tori Krug for a time. Uh, I don't think he's going to be able to just transport them here. But if he can get the nice power play to play up to more of its potential while keeping that defensive identity, both at five on five on the penalty kill, I think the Knights will end up pretty happy with this hire. You know, the one of the interesting things too, Elliot Friedman and I were talking about this in the first hour. Uh, you know, wondering about okay, so what uh, what doesn't change under Bruce Cassidy, or what might change um, from the Peter DeBoer style uh, team to the Bruce Cassidy style team? And the one thing about about Pete DeBoer is a lot of the offense, and specifically on the power play. A lot of it was predicated on rebounds. We're going to score our goals off rebounds. Look in the playoffs, goals are scored off of rebounds. And a lot of his offense, you know, offensive plays were designed around creating rebounds, creating pucks lying in and around the nets. Um, and so that meant shots from the point. And in an, in a, in an analytics-driven world, shots from the point are out the window. Like there's, there's, there's no value. It's the lowest percentage shot you can take. But the board didn't intend those goals to those shots to go in. He just wanted to make pucks lie around the crease, wanted them to go off the chest protector, wanted them to go off the pad. Do you think now that that might be a thing of the past now that Bruce Cassidy is in, and it won't just be offense trying to be you know uh, attempted to be creative, created rather uh, off of rebounds? No, it'll be interesting because I think you know a lot of those same criticisms were actually kind of levied at Cassidy and you know Cam Neely and Don. Sweeney's uh, postseason press conference, not necessarily the one where they had fired Cassie, but the one directly after the season where you could hear some of the critiques of the Bruce Cassidy offense, and they were kind of figuring out how to get more in-zone offense uh, out of the Bruins and not just be so overly reliant on transition. And that was a long-time kind of bugaboo pizza board here as well, where the Knights have been known basically their entire existence as this high-flying team who, when they turn pucks over in the neutral zone, can just go the other way and absolutely burn you. Mark Stone has just excelled at that since arriving via trade because he's got such a good stick to swat away pucks you know, in yep. the neutral zone and then immediately start offense the other way. And that's how he, Chandler Stevenson, and Max Pacioretty have scored so many goals at 5-on-5 five five over the past couple years. But the Knights have always bogged down, especially their last two playoff runs, where teams back up, they don't let them get going in transition, and they force the Knights to try to score on them in zone with their forecheck, with those point shots and rebounds, as you pointed out. And the Knights haven't been good at getting a lot of offense that way. They haven't won a lot of rebounds and loose pucks in front of the net. They 
don't always have guys heading right there in the front of the crease. And so it'll be interesting to see, you know, whether those same kind of criticisms end up coming in when Cassie arrives or whether he's able to make some tweaks based on his time in Boston, based on what he's seeing with the Knights that can get more five on five offense out of this group, specifically in zone, or maybe like we talked about before, he ends up getting the power play to a point where, you know, people aren't as uh, you know, redis- or readily complaining about the five on five offense in zone because they're finding another source of offense on the power play that largely hasn't existed for the night the last couple of years. You know, one of the stories uh, that will continue to play itself out and already has begun is the situation with the netminders. Uh, whether it's Robin Leonard and his surgery, whether it is Laurent Boissois and his surgery, are we potentially looking at a Vegas Golden Knights team that starts the season with Logan Thompson in that? It wouldn't shock me, and I don't think that's necessarily the worst option for them based on how he finished the season, which was very, very strong, despite the fact that this is a guy that was undrafted, had to go to Brock University to earn his oh, shot. Yeah in the NHL. I mean, he has been just a fantastic story. And he, uh, you know, ironically, you would think, you know, a rookie goaltender with that kind of story would be the reason why the Knights fell out of the playoff picture late in the season. I mean, he was the guy that was keeping them in it uh, towards the end. And it was the fact that the Knights skaters went 0 for 17 in three straight shootouts in, you know, three of their last four games of the season, while Logan went 14 of 17. You know, that's what officially got the Knights mathematically eliminated from the playoffs. So he's certainly earned himself a longer look here heading into next season. And based on the fact that Cassidy has obviously always kind of staggered his goaltenders pretty evenly in Boston, mm-hmm. even this past year with Olmark and Swayman, I would expect that that would be the case moving forward. And then obviously we'll see, you know, when and if Robin Leonard is healthy and available to play. But this certainly seems like this kind of structured defensive system could benefit him if he ends up entering this season healthy, obviously he was a Vesna Trophy finalist under Barry Trotz. I think this kind of disciplined style of defense kind of plays into Robin Leonard's strengths if he's able to come back from that shoulder surgery healthy, you know, either coming into training camp or near the beginning of the season. Um, but before I let you go, Ben, uh, I want to get your thoughts on, on roster construction here. Uh, just a quick check at, at Cap Friendly. Only $200,000 available in cap space uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights. That's not going to get it done. Uh, how do they do this, and what does the team look like, you think, when they do finally do this? Yeah, that's obviously the question of the offseason for the Golden Knights. <laughs> they need to clear cap space. Uh, just to start, to start getting some of their uh, restricted free agents signed. Um, I think there's the phrase that past behavior is the best indicator of future success. So if I'm Evgeny Dodonov and I've already uh, been attempted to be traded once, I'm certainly not feeling comfortable uh, this summer as to whether my $5 million are going to stay on the Golden Knights books. Um, after that, they have a lot of really difficult decisions to make, and I'm still not sure exactly how this is going to go. They have some restricted free agents that are going to potentially command some price tags that are going to be difficult for the team to potentially match. I look at that Jack Roslevic contract that the Columbus Blue Jackets just signed with yep. a $4 million AAV. If I'm Nicholas Waugh and Nicholas Waugh's agent, I'm ecstatic about that contract. If I'm Kelly McCrimmon and the Golden Knights, 
I am not thrilled that that contract came out <laughs> right as we're about to enter, you know, negotiations with Nicholas Waugh. So what happens there? What happens with a guy like uh, Nick Hag, who's kind of established himself as a good young defenseman? Is his price tag going to get a little tricky for them to handle? And so they have to figure all that out about what these RFA is going to cost, what else could potentially move off the roster, and then have to make a very difficult decision with their key unrestricted free agent, which is Riley Smith, who's been a guy that's obviously been you know, part of the leadership group of the Knights since day one. Uh, his teammates, and specifically his line mates, you know, Jonathan Marcheseau and William Carlson, who he's been with for five years, absolutely love him. But it's going to be very difficult for the Knights to get him back in the fold financially, and that might require a significant cut elsewhere. So it's going to be yeah. really interesting to see how they can juggle all this and try to get all these pieces to fit together under the cap. I I really wonder, Ben, just on that note, I really wonder if there's already some type of agreement in place with, with Riley Smith for, for I I don't know that it would, I mean, I don't think it would shock you. It doesn't, wouldn't shock me at all. If all we're just knowing what he means to that team and those players as well, to say nothing of the quality of hockey player that he is, it wouldn't, and how much of a Bruce Cassidy kind of guy he would be. It wouldn't surprise me at all if there was already, let's just say an, an understanding of how they can do this with Riley Smith. I don't think that would shock you, would it? No, it definitely would not uh, shock me. And I can definitely see that happening. I can see him sticking around. As you said, I can see him being a very good fit under Bruce Cassidy. I think he definitely is a Bruce Cassidy uh, type of player. But yeah, his Riley Smith's annual charity softball tournament is just a couple days after the opening of free agency. So <laughs> we'll we'll see what happens when he comes to Las Vegas ballpark just a few days later. could be a very uh, interesting time, depending on how this all shakes out. Yes, indeed. Uh, ben, this has been great. Look forward to catching up again soon. Uh, never a shortage of things to talk about as it relates to uh, the Vegas Golden Knights. We'll make sure that uh, we keep your number handy. Thanks so much for sharing your expertise. Much appreciated. Yeah, no problem. Happy to do it. Uh, from the Las Vegas Review Journal, uh, that is Ben Goats covering the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, the most recent news yesterday, the hiring of Bruce Cassidy. Uh, he takes over from Peter DeBoer. DeBoer, I still think and I think many of us do at the end of all of it when the dust settles will be the next head coach of the Dallas Stars we shall see what it's going to take to get there but uh, as you know DeBoer uh, exits Vegas Cassidy enters I don't think it'll surprise anybody if Peter DeBoer ends up in the uh, the next head coach uh, of the Dallas Stars as we bring in our producer Matt Marchese um First of all, how are you, Matty? By the way, Greg Wyshynski, bottom of the hour, not top. He's got ESPN duty, so Wish joins us at the bottom. How are you, Matty? I'm good. I'm good. I, finally, we, the cup final is here. Like that, uh, Enough with these delays. <laughs> <laughs> let Listen, let them get rested. Let them do media. Let the hype machine get going. I understand it. I understand it. And there's there's other hockey to watch. And there's also, you know, sp- there are other sports okay to watch a ball game. Oh, tough one for the Jays last night, though. Um, there are uh, there are other sports you can watch, Maddie Marchese. What have you done the last couple of nights? Um, tried to figure out what I'm going to do in my backyard in terms of renovating it. Um, tr- uh, went to do stuff in the nursery, but we bought the wrong stuff so we need to go get these hinges for the curtain rods and we watched america's got talent on city tv last night oh you did eh mm-hmm. how was That's it a show that my wife watched together it's it's very good there's lots of there's a lot of heartfelt moments and i found myself mm-hmm. 
very mushy over one particular one. And I said, oh, my God, is this what it's going to be like being a parent? Yes, everything changes. Everything is yep. way, it gets way too emotional, 100%. Everything is a metaphor for something else. Yeah, welcome to it, Maddie. You're going to be there soon. My favorite performance of any of the Gots Talent shows is Scott Oak's son, Darcy, in Britain's Got Talent. Have you ever seen those performances? Yeah, he's incredible. He's so, he's so good. He, first of all, he's phenomenal and he's jacked and he's charming and he's great looking. Like, Darcy Oak, he's one of those guys you just look at and then you talk to him and you go, you've got your whole game together, man. All of it at every single level. Um, that was my favorite performance of all those, uh, you know, uh, got talent shows. Yeah, that I'm trying to think of the one for me. I mean, the one I watched the other day was just an incredible story. Um, it was a kid who was born premature. He got bullied in school because of, you know, complications he had from being born premature. And he played the saxophone like I had never seen before. And mm -hmm. I just started to get so emotional. And I just looked at my wife with tears in my eyes and said, I, I am yeah. an absolute mess right now. But there's been a there's been a few, but some just really stick out that are the story that goes with it is pretty incredible. I mean, there was a there was a guy who was and we're not talking about hockey here, but that's fine. Um, there was a a guy. It was a young guy. He was born um, with autism and he was born blind. And music was his thing. He he, he didn't know how to socialize with people. Like he just he couldn't yeah. do any of that stuff. And he mm -hmm. played the piano and sang like you've never heard before in your life. He ended up winning that season. It was incredible. Just the, it just sheer incredible. And I, yeah, again, got very emotional. That was before my wife was pregnant. So <laughs> the, um, I always loved, uh, s similar to that, uh, the pros versus Joe's concept. And I always wanted to do like a detailed one, a weekly for hockey because how many guys have you met maddie i have met plenty who still thinks they could have had a shot in the show Ugh, when really so do you know how hard it is to play in the nhl I, i'll tell you a story i remember being on the ice there used to be in the west end of toronto my buddy Colin used to put together this gig. Colin played in Germany and had a bunch of guys that played either in the coast, a couple of guys that played in the American League, a lot of guys that played in Europe. And they used to play a game at McCormick Arena in the West End. And it was Sunday nights, and they called it Game 7 at 7. And it was full contact, no referees, just go. It was insane. And Colin invited me out to play a couple of times. First of all, this is way out of my league, and he's like, nah, you'll be fine, you'll hang in there. I remember being on the ice, and do you remember Pete Sarno? Mm -hmm. so incredible, Pete Sarno, incredible. Great player, uh, great minor league player. So Pete Sarno led the American Hockey League in scoring at least once, I think, with either, well, it might have been either when it was with Manitoba or maybe he was with Syracuse, I can't recall. Anyhow, I remember being on the ice with Pete Sarno, and these are against like other you know minor league players, but still, and he was head and shoulders above everybody, like, the best player I've ever shared the ice with. Like, remarkable. Couldn't lift his stick, couldn't get the puck off him. Everything's a perfect pass. It's zipped over laser style. His shot is ridiculous. Positioning is great. Like, feet are fantastic. I remember sitting on the bench, and sitting next to my buddy, and I said, like, Sarno's amazing. He's like, yeah, man, he's so good. I'm like, you know what the scary thing is? He goes, what's that? He'll never play in the NHL. As good as he is, 
as good as he is, he's still not NHL good. And I always remember, I always catch myself when when people say things like, oh, yeah, like, oh, Pat Maroon doesn't belong out there. He's a liability. Oh, look at Pat Maroon. Look at the uh, the worst hockey players on every team. Do you know how good that guy is? Do you know how good a player that guy? Like I always say this about boxing. You have to be so great just to be bad, just to be awful. And I know it's true of every sport, but it really gets pronounced in hockey and it gets pronounced in, in combat sports as well, specifically boxing. Just to be the guy that gets beaten up all the time in boxing or just to be the guy who is the, uh, the butt of every joke around dressing rooms uh, in, in hockey, that guy is so good just to make it into the NHL that it is stunning. And it really hit home watching Pete Sarno. This guy's never going to play in the NHL. And he's yeah, the best player, best player I've ever seen on the ice. That's why I laugh at people. When you talk about, oh, how hard it is to get to the NHL, how hard it is to get to the AHL or the ECHL. Like, these people, totally. they have no idea. Like, well, it's, un- remember, it's unreal. You remember Making the Cut? Remember that reality show, Making the yeah. Cut? It was, a, it, was yeah. a great, it was great programming for the lockout. But the, the whole, like, I know a lot of scouts that were really pissed off at that show. I know a lot okay. of NA- NHL scouts that really resented that show because it's all based on the idea that scouts miss guys, that guys yeah. slip through and don't make it. Scouts were, A, upset at the premise of the show, but B, nervous because what if this show finds a guy? You know, what if this show finds someone? So I was doing the Leafs Lunch Show at that point with Bill Waters. And as a promotion for the show, they brought me out to one of them. Kevin McGuire and the late Pete Zuzzle uh, were my on-ice instructors. And I remember I got there. Oh, my God. It was it was, <laughs> it was kind of funny. Uh, Mike Rice, old Oshawa general, was sitting on one side of me. He was going to be on, on, on my pad. And also, do you remember a guy by the name of Nick Stajdahar? Yes. So Nick, he was an Nick Oilers Stajdahar, pick, wasn't he? First-round draft pick. First-round draft pick out of the London Knights. For, and it never never worked out for, for Nick for a, a, a variety of reasons. We won't document here. But a, a number of reasons it didn't work out for Nick Stajdahar. But you're right. He was a, a number one draft pick in the NHL. First round pick of the Edmonton Oilers. And he was trying to come back with this show as well. And I thought to myself, good Lord. Like, holy smokes. Like, this is the level of, of, of athlete that's going to be out there. But at the end of all of it, and who was it? It would have been um, Jack Birch who was the head scout for all of it. Jack Birch was a longtime scout that was always with Mike Keenan. That was a, that was the scout that Keenan always brought everywhere with him in the NHL. Anyway, Birch was the was the, the the main scout involved in this thing. And by the end when it became obvious that they weren't going to find any NHL players. And there were some good players on the ice man, like some really good players. I know there were a lot of scouts that slept easier. Because what that show did more than anything else was validate that scouts around the NHL do their jobs properly and players don't fall through the cracks. Now, players certainly do fall through the cracks and players develop at different times, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the premise of the show was we're going to try to get one into the NHL. Never happened. But I'll tell you, a lot of scouts were both a combination of pissed off and nervous at the same time, Maddie. And then validated at the end of it. And good for that. 100%. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I'll do this quickly. The only story that I have, well, I have, I've played, like I've played against NHLers in different formats or whatever, you know, in the 
alumni tournaments, all that other stuff. It's not the same. Yeah. But I was playing in a in the Brampton Summer Tournament, the famous Brampton Summer Tournament. You played in that? Yeah, it was oh a junior God. age team. Um, I don't know if it was the same one that Stewie Stewie and his brother played in, but Mark Giordano was on one of the teams. And I'm chasing Mark Giordano on the forecheck, and he's backpedaling in his own zone. This He was playing in the AHL. This was before he even went to Russia. And he sends a chest-high saucer pass from his own hash marks in front of his net to the far yeah. blue line, hits a guy cutting across the ice. And I laughed, and I went, maybe you should take it easy. And he just laughed back and said, I don't think so, buddy. And I was like, this guy hasn't even made it yet. And this is the type of stuff he can do. He's making us all look foolish. We're all junior-aged yeah. guys, right? The, so, the, yeah. Real, real quick story about that Brampton tournament. You can find this on YouTube. Type in Chris Stewart and Zenon Kanopka. So there was a fight. I can't remember what season it was. It might have been like 2010. It was Colorado Avalanche, New York Islanders. And I think it was like the third night of the season. It was the first Saturday night of the season. And it's right off the draw. It's right off the draw. And you say to yourself, first of all, when do these two teams meet? When do these two teams play each other? What could there be between Chris Stewart and Zenon Kanopka that would cause him to off the draw fight right away? So I do a little digging. And what I find out was it was over a dispute at that Brampton summer tournament. And they said, look, I can't remember which guy said it. I think actually it was Chris. Like, look, I get paid to fight. If I'm going to fight, I'm going to get paid. That we'll, we'll do this in the NHL. And the first chance they got off the opening draw of the faceoff, Chris Stewart and Zenon Kanopka throw down as everyone is trying to figure out why would these two throw down the first game of the sea of the first Saturday night of a season, Islanders and the Colorado Avalanche. You can, you can find the fight on YouTube. October and the whole 16th, thing, 2010. There it is. So, okay, I had the year right, 2010. That goes back to, and I'm not sure what the issue was, but there was an issue either in the tournament itself or over a game or something in that now legendary, legendary Brampton tournament. Kanopka and Stewart, and it played itself out in the NHL. Hockey's awesome. Hockey's dumb. Hockey's dumb awesome. It's great. Let's take a break. Uh, speaking of all those things, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN uh, will be joining me in moments. The Merrick Hockey Show continues across the Sportsnet radio network.